Well, good morning, City Church. I am not here worshiping with you this morning. I am actually across Charlottesville preaching at Mount Zion First African Baptist Church. The pastor there, Pastor Alvin Edwards, uh, Dr. Edwards, I actually call him Doc, is a very dear friend of mine. And we felt led of the Lord that there would be times where we would swap pulpits. Our churches have done things together in the past, we'll be doing things together in the future, but we felt led of God that we would swap pulpits. And so this morning, I am preaching at his church, and I am thrilled that he'll be preaching to the City Church family this morning. Would you now please give a warm City Church welcome to Dr. Edwards. It's a privilege and honor to be able to come and to share with you on this day. Um, thank the Lord for another day. If you've been where I've been, you'd say the same thing. In 2018, I had, they discovered I had cirrhosis of the liver. And then following that, I went to my checkup after being in the hospital and the doctor said, Pastor, I didn't tell you this, he says, but I didn't think you were going to make it. So every day I see it's a good day to stand up. And so I'm honored to stand where Pastor Pete stands, and I just want you to know that his wife wrote an excellent sermon for him this morning at our 8 o'clock service. <laughs> I told him he wasn't that smart, so I know Fran wrote it. <laughs> and so he blessed us. The presence of the Lord was really there. And so I'm glad to be here this morning and to share with you while he's over at Mount Zion First African Baptist Church. And today, I want to share with you from... Um, I call this the widow's might, the widow's might. This particular story appears in two of the Gospels, Mark and Luke. And I want to talk about the widow's might because Pastor Pete has been preaching a series from one of Paul's letters, the church at Corinth. And one of the subjects that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 and 2, he writes about giving. And this is what he says, now about the collection for the Lord's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. And so one of the messy matters in the church is money. If you want people to get quiet, talk about money. Usually I don't like to talk about money because people always talk about the only thing that preachers want is money. But that's not true. And so I believe that so it doesn't be messy, I decided to invite your attention, invite you to examine one of the stories that Jesus told in Mark and Luke. Both record this story in your Gospels. So let me begin by saying the Bible does not record many human actions during the life of Jesus by which he was impressed. Nor does it record anything that he commented about. But this particular incident recorded in Mark chapter 12, verses 41 through 40, and please read it when you get home, and Luke chapter 21 and one following, you will discover that this story occurs at the end or toward the end of Jesus's sojourn here on earth. His ministry is coming to a close. But on this day, he is in the city 
of Jerusalem at the temple. Jesus was trying to look for vestiges of hope in the ranks of God's people. And so he decided to check on several places where hope lives in terms of folks doing the will of God on earth. But in most instances, he was disappointed. So he goes to the Jerusalem church and decided to check on the pulpit. And as he checks on the pulpit, he discovers that there are men standing there. But what they are saying is not really worth saying or listening to. They are mouthing messages, but what they are saying does not bear the accent of the infinite one. There are men standing there going through the motions, spending time following through on traditions, tickling the fantasy of the hearers, but, but they are not saying what thus saith the Lord. So, though so here they are, these men standing there, taking up time, mouthing messages without any substance. The pulpit is technically empty. And so Jesus is disappointed by way of the pulpit. So he leaves the pulpit. He goes by prayer service to see if there's any hope left at prayer meeting. And so Jesus, and he has a right to be there because he's already stated that my house shall be called the house of prayer. And the master is disappointed when he gets there. First of all, he was disappointed because the numbers there, there were only two people present. One is a Pharisee and another one is a publican. And the reason he is disappointed is because had there been any other thing going on in the house of God, there would have been more than two people present. And even if the Lord checked on things here at Mount Zion First African Baptist Church or even here at City Church, I wonder would he be disappointed? Because the truth of the matter is prayer meeting or prayer services or prayer gatherings are not what they used to be. Matter of fact, the, the, the obituary has been read on them at their service. You have more folks at choir rehearsal than you do for prayer service. You have more men show up for deacon or elders meeting than you do for prayer service. More people show up for church meeting and ushers meeting and planning meeting for whatever special day than they do for prayer service. And you don't read anywhere where Jesus says, my house shall be called a house of choir rehearsal or a house of deacons meetings. It shall be called a house of prayer. Well, not only was Jesus disappointed with the numbers, but he was also disappointed at what was going on. Because there was a Pharisee present. When he prayed his prayer, he essentially said to God this, God, you better be glad I'm on your side. There was no praise in his prayer. There was no pleading in his prayer. There was just self-plaudits. Lord, I'm glad I'm not like other men. Lord, I tithe. Lord, I fast. Lord, I do this. And you ought to be happy that I'm on your side. You ought to be glad. I'm a good credit to you. And, 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 and he went on. But then there was a publican, a publican there who was present, who probably had a thorn in his life. And the Bible says he fell on his knees with his head in the locks of his shoulders and he said, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Now, I can't speak for you, 
But if it's one thing I want from the Lord, it's his mercy. And the reason I want his mercy is because I can't stand his justice. And the excuses I believe that we come up with about how many of us lay claim to the fact and say, I don't come to prayer service because of this, or I don't come to prayer meeting because of this. I don't come because I can't pray like them. Well, that's the devil fooling you. God does not want you, nor does he expect us to pray like someone else. So Jesus went to prayer meeting and he was disappointed. He decided to check on another place. He goes to Bible study. And there are more folks in Bible study than there were, than there was in prayer service. But what they're talking about is stuff that ain't worth talking about. Instead of discussing scripture, they were mouthing a lot of folk ways and isms and they are asking questions that have no essence for everyday living. They're talking about stuff like if a woman marries seven brothers here on earth and when she dies, which one's wife would she be at the resurrection? And if you pay close attention to the scripture, you will discover that the people who asked the question didn't even believe in the resurrection. Now, a good friend of mine told me this. He said he found out that if you give a snake a teaspoon of coffee, it would kill it. Now, do you know where he learned that? In Bible study. <laughs> and I wanted to know what fool would take time out to find out whether it was true or not. <laughs> but some of the stuff that goes on in Bible study in terms of studying scripture comes out and makes no sense whatsoever. And I sit in worship services, Bible study, and I wonder what would happen if Jesus walked in. Well, the master decided to check out the pulpit. He checked out the prayer service. He checked out the Bible study. He decides to go to one more place. And Mark says this, it said, he says, he sat by the treasury. That's the King James Version. But now what it really says is this, that Jesus decided to check out their financial statement. So he goes by the trustee room, he stood at the offering table, and I had to ask myself, why would he go by the trustee room, or, the, or, or stand by the, 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 the offering table? Well, the answer is this. is because Jesus was searching for hearts. For he already taught that where a man's treasury is, that is where his heart is. And Jesus wanted to know how many hearts are in the house of God. And what he saw literally blew the master's mind. He was so fascinated that, and so impressed that he told Mark, be sure to mention it. And he said, Luke, don't you leave it out. And disciples, you need to see what just happened. Jesus saw this little older Jewish woman who was adorned in mourner's clothes, whose home had probably been visited by death. Here she was tipping in the house of God and all she gave was two mites. And that is all that she had. And the master said, write her up, Mark and Luke. But notice that she is not written up 
because she didn't wear makeup. She's not written up because she wore dresses down to her knees. She's not written up because she was carrying the family Bible everywhere she went. She's not written up because she said praise the Lord every time she's met you. She's not written up because she's a great wife or mother because she's a member of a church. She's not written up because she's the oldest woman in the community or that she's a charter member at the temple. She is written up for giving and giving is a spiritual exercise. It is a spiritual discipline that every child of God needs to practice. It is one that Satan has tampered with. It is one that has changed the course of this world. It is one that makes people talk about preachers. And when Jesus saw this woman give all that she had, he said, write her up. If I'm not mistaken, it's the only time recorded in Scripture that Jesus praised someone for giving. And I wanted to know what is it that the master saw? What is going on that made him write this woman up in the Scriptures? If you got a few minutes, I'll tell you why. First of all, She gave all she had where the preachers were no good. Y'all will get it when you get home. (laughs) Do you know who pastored the temple in Jerusalem? It was Reverend Annas and Reverend Caiaphas. They were the ones who plotted against Jesus. They were the ones who wanted to off Jesus. They were the ones who wanted to kill Jesus. They were the ones in charge when Jesus went in and whipped them out of the temple and said they made his house of a merchandise and a den of thieves. They are the ones who pastored the temple. And what Jesus saw in this woman was that she did not let those no good preachers get in the way of her stewardship and discipleship. And that was good news for me. Because, see, I'm paranoid about people who say, I would give if the preacher was such and such. And what you and I have to realize, that is a preacher does not have a heaven or hell to put anybody in. The preacher doesn't wake up anybody in the morning. The preacher doesn't make the sun shine. The preacher didn't die for anybody. Matter of fact, if he did, it wouldn't do any good. And so we're obligated to God, who is our heavenly father, to give to God whether the preacher is good or not. You don't give because of the goodness of the preacher. You give because of the goodness of almighty God. And when you let the preacher get closer to God than you, the preacher is closer to God than you are. And so she gave her all. Well, the preachers were no good. But then there's the second reason. We give to other things where the folks in charge are no good. Everybody here pays taxes. (laughs) And y'all know some of them folks up there ain't no good. Some of us live in places where the landlord is no good. 
We go in department stores where the folks rip us off and we keep going back and everybody in there are not right either. And the church is the one place, no matter what we have done, no matter who we are, we ought to be able to go and get whatever we need whenever we need it without folks asking questions. And then folks sit around and talking about how no good the preacher is and what this woman is saying to us is this. You ought not hold back because the preacher is no good. Because you're not giving to him anyway. You're giving to God. But the real point is this. She gave all she had. And, and see, and I have heard all this all my life, and the emphasis was always on the two mites. And, and with the emphasis being on the two mites, they were leaving out all. Now, you know all means all. The, that, the all was ignored. And some of us would hear the two mites, and when the offering trays were passed, people would give out of their abundance. But the message is this, she gave all she had. So the question is not, when is the last time you gave two mites? When is the last time you gave God all you had? Well, this text is also tailored to teach us in Mark. Mark says she gave of her want. But Luke writes that she gave of her penury. Now, Mark, according to the scholars, is the first gospel, and Luke is the for refined person. Luke wrote with a certain sophistication because of who it was written to, and he was a physician. But Mark says she gave of her want. Luke says of her penury. So, preacher, what does the word penury mean? I'm glad y'all asked me. Penury meant want. First, that didn't make any sense to me until till I noticed that this word is a noun and penuriously is an adjective, which meant this, that the widow gave of her penury, but she did not give penuriously. Okay, y'all, y'all ain't got it yet. In other words, she gave of her want, but she didn't give like she wanted anything. She gave of her poverty, but she didn't give poorly. Okay. Most of us don't live like we're poor. We only give to God like we're poor. We don't live like we're poor. And, 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 and if I ask today or on any given Lord's Day to go and get your car, poor folks don't drive Cadillacs. They don't drive Lexus. I drive one. I can say that. They don't drive they don't wear diamonds. They don't drive vault. They don't wear necklaces. They don't always go on vacation. They don't, they don't, we don't live like we're poor. We only give like we're poor. Most of us, we walked out of a $200,000 plus house after getting up off a $1,000 mattress. 
We get in a $20,000 plus automobile. We wearing $100 shoes. We put on an $80 shirt. We wear a $50 tie. We drive two miles across God's $100 million highway, and some of us will put $5 in the offering. Now, that may not be true here, but at 105 Langford Avenue, people would think I've done what I'm supposed to do. But if you're honest, and the point I'm trying to say is this, is that we as believers, as children of Almighty God, as men and women who've been blood-bought, blood-washed, I'm only trying to say is that we abuse the principle of stewardship because we live like we're rich and we give like we're poor. And some of us wonder why God ain't doing more for us. It's because we haven't done that. He doesn't have much to work with. But this lady didn't do that. She gave all she had. There was no SSI. There was no Social Security. There was no Medicaid, Medicare. There was none of that. No hope for her. And the temple wasn't doing anything for her. So if anyone was going to do anything for her, she had to depend on God. And she went in this church, this temple, where the preachers were no good. She gave all she had. She gave like she had more to give. And the reason Jesus didn't get excited about the big givers is because they had plenty left. They wouldn't miss what they gave. But she gave her all. Matter of fact, y'all acting just like Mount Zion would. They get quiet. Another thing is that Jesus didn't call her name. I know some folks who would give more if we called their names. But Jesus didn't call her name. He told the disciples he didn't call her name and she didn't want her name called. Well, she was a good example. But it wasn't necessary for the master to call her name. Why? Because she knew what giving was all about. She knew the reasons for giving. She knew everything she had comes from God and that everything she would get comes from God. Therefore, we ought to give more because God has our reward. But then there's another reason. She was making room for more for what she was going to receive. And that is what we have to do. You got to make room. If you bought a new bedroom suit, do you just take out the chair? The problem really is this. That we always want more than what we give. But I stopped by to tell you today that the more you give God, the more he'll give to you. You give it to him by the shovel loads, he will give it back to you by the bulldozer loads. Giving is not predicated on what you have to give. Giving, authentic giving, is predicated on what you have left after you have given. Everything God has done for us, what he has given us is based on what he's given to you. 
It's what John 3.16 says, that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And so the challenge is City Church. When is the last time you've given your all? What would the master say if he came by prayer service and worship service and Bible study? Well, I hope and trust he won't be disappointed. I close with this story. In 1975, I was a student at Virginia Union School of Theology in Richmond, Virginia. My first year there away from home, I was saving up for some books, and the transmission went out in my car. I didn't know what I was going to do. Naturally, called mom and dad. The money I'd been saving, I had to use toward to pay for the repair of the car. I'd ordered some books that came in, and the books were called. And so I didn't know how I was going to pay for them. I knew I had an engagement coming up in Stanton, Virginia, at Mount Zion Baptist Church over there. And I knew at the most they'd pay me $50 because that was the going rate then for how churches paid you. So I was a little low down and out and went to revival service. Actually, before I went to revival service, that Wednesday, I got a credit card in the mail, and one of the guys, my classmates, said to me, so you don't have to worry about how you're going to pay for those books. Now, you got a credit card. God spoke to me and said, trust me. Well, that Wednesday night, after getting the credit card, the church, I received the letter, they canceled the preaching engagement. And I didn't know what I was going to do. But I know the Lord spoke to me. And so I decided to go to revival to hear a friend of mine. He was the former pastor of Queen Baptist Church, Joe B. Fleming, in Richmond, Virginia. And I said, I'm coming by to worship with you in the morning, that Sunday morning. He said, no, you're going to preach for me. Well, I figured... I'd get at least $50. The books were $70. But I knew what the Lord said to me. Trust him. Sunday morning, it was a good day for preaching. The people responded well. And Joe B. said to them, he said, instead of taking up, giving him a check, I'm going to receive an offering. They took up $105.86. I paid my tithes, paid for my books, and I had a few dollars left over. <laughs> Giving is a matter of trusting the Lord. Doesn't matter who the preacher, the pastor is. You give to God. And when you give to God, he'll give back to you. The widow gave her all. 
what will you give?